business and buckets. It's March and we are live. Episode 74 coming at you. We got all the March madness. We got MLB back, free agency, NFL free agency. It's fucking crazy time to be a sports fan. But it's also a good time to get your health in order. If it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Field Supplements' newest creatine monohydrate. So why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle, t- muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. It's 100 servings, non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. So you know the deal. Enter code BUCKETS for a discount, 15% off, fieldsupplements.com, the one and only sponsor here at Business at Buckets. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, like I said, boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of sports action to talk about this weekend, this week, this weekend, brackets, one of my favorite times of year. I was going to do an IG live, but I got pretty sick after a crazy weekend. Uh, All week, we had a conference for work, you know, our London office, Australia office worldwide gathering first time in person, seeing coworkers for the first time. It was great. Um, Tested negative for COVID, thank goodness, but was pretty sick. So wasn't able to do some podcast stuff. I wanted to do IG live like I did last year in my bracket. You know, ideally, it's better. Uh, then last year's, last year's didn't play out too well. Texas burned me bad. Uh, but let's just dive in. We're going to start with NFL because it's been moves on moves on moves. Quarterback carousel, the Russell Wilson news broke. Hella team players. My Pittsburgh Steelers making moves in a world of craziness. You're just, I, I literally just been watching Twitter. I'm all sick watching Twitter. Just things going. It's been fucking wild. But. We're going to start with some Cowboys news. Um, rumor was they might uh, potentially cut Demarcus Lawrence. Well, they make him one of the most paid defensive ends in NFL history with his third contract. He gets a three-year, $40 million deal with the Cowboys. Are you kidding me? This son of a gun. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence. He's, he's just about to turn 30 years old, so he's not even 30, which I honestly didn't know that. And he was the fourth-ranked edge defense, defend, uh, defender by PFF. So the Cowboys thought about cutting him. They said, nah, we signed him 3 or $40 million. They also re-signed Malik Hooker. They signed Dante Fowler. They get Dante Fowler to add to the edge rush. Well, I guess he's... Let's see. Oh, it doesn't show up in PFF top 50, but you know, a guy that that's been there, high draft pick, ex high draft pick. Uh, they also signed Michael Gallup to a five year, 62 and a half million dollar deal. Um, a lot of this on the, uh, heels of the Amari Cooper, uh, uh trade and release, which we'll talk about. So they, they want to keep Gallup. They give him five years, 62 and a half, uh, because of all this paydays, they had to cut Lael Collins. Uh, a powerful lineman who's been battling injuries uh, the past few years. Can't quite stay on the field. 
Um, will be interesting to see where he goes. He is ranked 15th in PFF, so still a top 15 tackle last season. Um, and they also signed James Washington, ex-Steeler receiver. You know, the, the Steeler is pretty deep at the receiver position. In the offseason, they're not because they've got rid of Juju, got rid of him, got rid of Ray-Ray McLeod. Uh, but a guy that was a top-tier player in college, you know, the assumption of Mason Rudolph potentially filling in Big Ben's shoes, you you know, those two, you're like, oh, it's going to be a dynamic duo. Absolutely no duo whatsoever. Uh, but this is a guy that I think can really fill in a good role behind CD and, um, and Gallup next year for the boys. For the Giants, they signed Tyrod Taylor, two-year, $17 million deal, you know, with Danny Dimes and his injuries. They're, they're not fully committed. Worst case scenario, you have a guy that that is a proven backup that has been playing at a starter level previously. So he gets a two-year deal with the Giants. And to release some cap space, they release Logan Ryan, another guy that's going to be a good playmaker that you would assume would get some uh, some teams to reach out to him, a guy that I've always liked uh, and that I thought was, a, was one of the better defenders for, for the Giants. All right. We also have... Uh, Teddy Bridgewater signing a one-year deal with the Dolphins, uh, an, another QB insurance package. I figured he would go somewhere to start, but he will be sitting behind Tua. Tua gets hurt, things go bad. Insert Teddy B, uh, a proven vet who has performed at a pretty high level the past two years. The Dolphins weren't done yet. They said, let's keep them coming. They signed Emmanuel Ogba to a four-year $65 million deal. Signed running back Chase Edmonds, two-year, $12.6 million deal. Probably one of the more proven backs they've had the past few years. Uh, they, they steal Cedric Wilson from the Cowboys, three-year, $22.8 million deal. Cedric Wilson was a huge piece of the Cowboys this past year, um, honestly, and he, he ranked at 44 uh, right behind Christian Kirk, who got a huge payday. Um, so so good, good move there by the, the, the Dolphins, adding more offensive weapons. But they didn't stop. They, they re-signed Preston Williams to a one-year deal. Also, Raheem Mostert, one-year, $3 million deal. A guy that had an amazing season with the, the Niners before injury. Obviously, the young buck uh, filled his role. Um, Elijah, um, why is it, no. Eli Mitchell uh, uh, filling his role. So he gets uh, another chance with the Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins trying to compete. They're making moves. The salary cap increasing. Some teams have some money to spend. Well, the Jets decide to re-sign Telvin, uh, Tevin Coleman, a guy who's been around, uh, also was a solid back in San Francisco. They add tight end uh, Super Bowl vet tight end CJ Uzoma from the Bengals, three-year, $24 million. Add to the to the tight end depth. They now have CJ Uzoma and Mike Gusecki. Uh, good for blocking, you know, really adding to shore up that offense for the Dolphins. They also signed DJ Reed, three-year, $33 million. Tyler Conklin, three-year, $21 million. They're going to have all the tight ends <clears throat> for the Jets. And for some reason, they decided to re-sign Joe Flacco, one-year, $3.5 million deal. Uh, I guess, you know, he must be a part of the quarterback room help, helping Zach Wilson out. And then they signed safety Jordan Whitehead from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had a pretty solid season last year. He ranked 27th uh, in PFF this past year. The Seahawks had some moves. 
They signed Will Disley, three-year, $24 million deal after all the names and people they got rid of. They wanted to keep Will Disley part of the squad. They also re-signed Al Woods, signed Quentin Jefferson, released some space by releasing Carlos Dunlap, and then wanted to sign their guy, Quandre Diggs, three-year, $40 million uh, contract. Diggs ranked 24th uh, last year in safeties right above Jordan Whitehead. Um, so the Seahawks keeping him around. The Bengals wanted to keep things going. They signed uh, guard Ted Karras to a three-year, $18 million deal. They're trying to keep their franchise quarterback upright um, with all the craziness happening uh, in the AFC. I feel like the Bengals had a bunch more blues, but I don't have them together. Um, we'll probably get back to the Bengals here. Um, the Colts hire Reggie Wayne as their wide receiver coach, one of the most historied wide receivers, Hall of Fame wide receiver, uh, joining their squad. <clears throat> Larry Ojanjobi signed a three-year, $40.5 million contract with the Bears. He ended up failing his physical, so that didn't go through. So the Bears tried to make a move. Didn't quite happen with the failed physical. So they end up signing Brian Pringle to a one-year, $6 million contract. At the start of the tampering period, the Pittsburgh Steelers were free agent players. A lot of you know, like thought processes going through Yinzer's mind with Colbert's last year. Are they going to be, you know, aggressive? They're going to try to transform this thing. They're going to try to compete what's going on. Well, well, they went after it. They wanted Mitch Trubisky, which I don't know what Yinzer's original thoughts are. I've seen mixed emotions. Me personally, I don't think this is a long-term move. This gives a guy who is mobile with some pieces in offense and a good defense an opportunity. And he has won some games and has had situations as good as Pittsburgh. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like there was worse moves to be made. Uh, obviously, you're looking for the splashy Deshaun moves and maybe the Rodgers, those types of things. But they end up with Mitch Trubisky, two-year, $14 million deal, safe bet, low cost. Why not? They also re they keep Arthur Mollett for a two-year deal. Insert a, a guard center, Mason Cole, three-year, $15.7 million deal. They tender Robert Spillane and Marcus Allen. Resign Chucks Okafer, three-year, $24 million. Kind of a weird move. He hasn't performed at a high level. Hasn't been penalized very much as young, versatile. So, you know, it doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to be a starter, uh, but a good piece for the offensive line. They resign Montrevious Adams, who was a huge uh, a filler with Stefan Tuit out, two-year, $5 million. Biggest move of the free agency, in my opinion, James Daniels, a proven guard, really good run blocker, three-year, $26.5 million. And when I say really good, PFF has him as a 19th-ranked guard with a 72 grade against the run. Um, they release Zach Banner. You know, you add James Daniels, you add Mason Cole, no room for Zach Banner. Uh, he must not have ever been the same coming back from that injury because he never even played last year, which was a head-scratcher for me, especially when it was a preseason starter. Uh, they re-signed J.C. Hassenauer, versatile guard center, at a one-year deal. The Jaguars released Miles Jack. The Steelers swoop him up. Two-year, $16 million. They have linebacking help, uh, which is great. Because of that, they release ex-Jaguar edition Joe Schobert. Um, they sign a cornerback, Levi Wallace, who is a stud player, two-year, $8 million. Getting these all cheap, not big moves against the cap. When we look at Levi Wallace, 
I guess he's a Steeler now. He was pretty high on PFF. I don't know why it's not pulling up here. I looked at this right away, right? Him and Daniels. I'm like, what, what do we got him graded as? Huh. Not showing up right now. Anyways, he was he was top 50 PFF corners. Uh, they also re-signed Akello Witherspoon to a two-year deal, who according to PFF was the 13th rated corner last year, 79.7 in coverage. Big, long, lanky guy outperformed what they expected, so he gets a two-year deal. Um, they're, they're going special teams heavy. They signed all-pro returner Gunnar Olszewski from the Patriots. He's also a potential slot receiver, two-year, $4.2 million. So the Steelers making moves, which for Yinzers is like, holy shit, is hell freezing over what is happening. Um, you know, it, it's a sexy move right now, so hopefully it ends up paying out. And this comes from Steelers beat writer Mark Caballi. The Steelers have signed five free agents that totaled $80.5 million. Not one of the 2022 cap hits are over $5 million. Bravo, front office, Amir Khan, um, Colbert last year, bravo. Elsewhere in the NFL, Panthers release A.J. Bouye. Uh, they they sign linebacker Damian Wilson to a two-year deal to fill in for um, Miles Jack. They extend D.J. Moore, three-year, $61 million. Um, D.J. Moore has been a, a huge playmaker for them, so I'm not too surprised that they're re-signing him or extending him. They also add Xavier Woods to a three-year, $15.7 million deal. Matt Ioannidis from the, the Washington Commanders um, as well. And then the Packers get in here. They re-signed Devondre Campbell, five-year, $50 million deal. You wouldn't assume that they'd want to lose Mr. Campbell. Uh, he was a huge piece for them uh, this past year. Let's see if I could find him. He was rated second in PFF with a with an 85. Only Micah Parsons rated higher than him last year. He gets paid for it. Um, they're expected to re-sign Rajul Douglas, who was a huge piece in their secondary. But then drama happens for the Packers. Devontae Adams tells them he won't play under the franchise tag. Um, so they clear up a bunch of space. They sign Aaron Rodgers to a four-year, $200 million contract. I believe 150 of it's guaranteed. So they, they dish out the money there. Elsewhere, Mike Williams signs a three-year, $60 million contract. Pretty big payday for Mr. Mike. 40 of that guaranteed for the Chargers. We talked last week of how important he was. Um, obviously the new coach from Minnesota liking Kirk cousins, they give him a one year, $35 million contract fully guaranteed. Again, I knew Bengals had more moves here. They signed guard Alex Kappa as well. Four year, $40 million. When we look at Kappa, let's see. Spelled Kappa wrong. He was the 18th ranked offensive lineman last year with a 71.9 grade, uh, 69 pass block and run block. Huge moves for the Bengals. That was their biggest glaring weakness. There's two linemen right there. They keep BJ Hill three year, $30 million. They add tight end Hayden Hurst to a one year deal and they re-sign Eli Apple after a good performance one year, $4 million. How about them bungles? Uh, Tom Brady out of retirement. No surprise. He tries to steal the March headlines. Um, I, you know, this was a retirement that I knew just smelled 
reeked of him coming back. Um, I thought that he might have been doing it to leave the Bucks, but he's staying with the Bucks. I don't know if he could have necessarily left the Bucks or what the, you know, the politics are behind that. I really think it was a move to please his wife. Hey, I want to retire. This is what's going on. You know, he was trying to patchwork it before he could come back, before the Bucks needed an answer, before the draft um, and free agency of what the hell is going on. So he's coming out of retirement. He will be back. I am not surprised whatsoever. They also re-signed Brashad Perriman to a one-year deal. They add Logan Ryan from the Giants to a one-year deal. And instead of the franchise take for Chris Godwin, he re-signs three-year $60 million, so it won't be a one-year thing. They also add uh, versatile receiver Russell Gage from the Falcons, three-year $30 million. And then Carlton Davis re-signs three-year $45 million. I'm assuming all on the hills of Tom Brady. Carlton's like, sweet, I'll re-sign. Ryan Jensen also re-signs three-year $39 million. He would have been a huge free agent uh, center for, for uh, potential suitors, including the Steelers. Uh, going to the desert, Zach Ertz staying in Arizona, three-year deal with the Cardinals. James Conner getting a three-year extension, also $21 million for the Cardinals. Heading to the Cleveland, the Browns trade for Amari Cooper. Uh, on the heels of that, they release Jarvis Landry and release Austin Hooper. Um, so they get Amari Cooper from Dallas. I believe it was only a sixth-round uh, pick in exchange. Uh, Chase Winovich traded from the uh, Patriots to the Browns for linebacker Mac Wilson. Nice little even trade for them. Uh, Jeff Swaim signs a one-year extension. Uh, tight end uh, sticking around. The Lions signed Tracy Walker, three-year, $25 million deal. I love me some Tracy Walker. Let's see what PFF thinks of him. 42nd ranked safety in the league. Um, so they they get him three-year, 25. They add wide receiver DJ Chark, one-year, $12 million. Uh, got him on the cheap. I want to see what he ranks. He's not top 50. Uh, Washington re-signs Bobby McCain, two-year, $11 million. They also re-signed versatile running back J.D. McKissick, two-year, $7 million, although he was going to go to Buffalo and bailed out. Uh, I mean, so much drama. Only in the NFL this week. Then you add March. You add baseball. It's fucking bonkers. Um, they released Matt Iadonis, right? He had signed elsewhere. Brandon Sheriff signing with the Jaguars. Three-year, $49.5 million. Lots of guards to these young quarterbacks. You got to keep Trevor Lawrence upright, uh, especially when you've given up so much to get him. Let's see what he ranks. The 13th ranked guard. Hello, Trevor Lawrence. Hello, Jacksonville. A massive payday. Christian Kirk, four-year, $72 million. Get the bag, son. You know, I had him in fantasy the past few years. I liked him coming out of college. He's performed at a high level, but $72 million. Gosh, darn. Uh, they also add Evan Ingram, one-year, $10 million. Here's some weapons, Trevor. Here's some protection. Zay Jones, three-year, $24 million. People are really high on Zay Jones. I just don't get it. Let's see what PFF thinks. Ranked number 50th in receivers behind Rondell Moore, Tim Patrick, Tyler Boyd. I mean, eh, you know, he's, he's up there. The Jaguars don't stop there. They add Darius Williams, three-year, $30 million, big-time free agent. They spend a lot of money. Heading to Philly, they sign Hassan Reddick, $45 million deal. 
They extend GM Howie Roseman to three years. They end up cutching Fletcher Cox just to re-sign him. The Panthers sign offensive lineman Austin Corbett. They also signed Dante Foreman, one year, $2 million from Houston. He performed well. A little backup insurance policy for McCaffrey. J.C. Jackson to the Chargers, five-year, $82.5 million. The AFC West is just getting stacked. The Patriots re-signed Devin McCourty, one-year, $9 million. They add the very versatile Ty Montgomery to a two-year deal. They re-signed kicker Nick Folk, two-year, $5 million. The Chiefs sign safety Justin Reed, three-year, $31.5 million. So I guess I'd rather have Justin Reed than Tyron Matthew. Let's see where they rank together. Here's going to pull up. Well, Tyron Matthew, see if he pulls up, was the 38th best safety according to PFF last year. They swap out for Justin Reed. Um, as a Steelers fan, there's hope. I'm sure a lot of teams are thinking the same. Juju Smith-Schuster to the Chiefs. What a weapon that will be. Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Juju in the middle. Uh, one year, $10.75 million. Buffalo gives the bag to 32-year-old Von Miller. Six years, $120 million. Uh, they're going to have Von Miller until he's 38 years old, but that's how desperate they have been for a pass rush. They also sign tight end O.J. Howard. They keep Mitch Morris two-year 19.5. To save some money, they release Cole Beasley. They re-sign Jordan Phillips to a one-year. They sign Shaq Lawson. The Cardinals also re-signed Max Williams, the tight end, coming off injury. And then the Raiders make some moves. They trade Yannick Ngakwe to the Colts for cornerback Rocky Sin. They sign Chandler Jones, three-year, $51 million. Add more edge rushers to the AFC West. Welcome, Russell Wilson. Um, they also add, uh, release Carl Nassib. They re-sign Anthony Averett to a one-year, $4.5 million. They sign Amir Abdullah, but they lay the hammer down, trading for Devontae Adams, giving up this year's first and second round pick to the Packers, and they sign him for five years. $141 million. The biggest payday for a receiver. Welcome to the AFC. Welcome to the team. Oh, by the way, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, they played at Fresno State together. Supposedly, Rodgers knew of this. That's why um, uh, when he signed, he had already known. Devontae obviously wanted to go to Oakland. They were figuring it out. That's why he wasn't going to play under the franchise tag. Madness. Straight madness. But they're not done. They keep Max Crosby for a year, $99 million. You got Max Crosby. You got uh, Chandler Jones. You got Devontae Adams. The AFC West is loaded. All the NFC talent coming to the AFC. The Saints sign Marcus May, three-year, $28.5 million. The Niners take Charvarius Ward from the Chiefs, three-year, $42 million. The Chargers sign Sebastian Joseph Day, three-year, $24 million. Andrew Whitworth officially retires. No, no surprise there. The Rams release Johnny Hecker, which was kind of surprising of all things, releasing their stud punter. 
The Broncos sign Randy Gregory. He officially signs with the Cowboys. He changes his mind. Signs with the Broncos. Five-year, $70 million. The AFC West keeps going. The Titans release Janoris Jenkins. Austin Hooper signs with the Titans. One-year, $6 million. Nice little tight end signing. They release Julio Jones. They sign Dontrell Hilliard from the Browns, who played well. Uh, Robert Woods gets traded to the Titans for a sixth-round pick. Are you kidding me? Um, they lose Julio, but they add Robert Woods. The fact that the, the Rams were willing to lose Robert Woods, in my mind, is kind of blowing. The Titans re-sign Buster Scrine. The Ravens sign Marcus Williams, five-year, $70 million. What a fit that's going to be. Uh, as a Steelers fan, I'm kind of pissed. Um, the, Ra the Ravens also sign Michael Pierce, three-year, $16.5 million. The Pats trade Shaq Mason to the Bucks. But they re-signed their favorite James White, two-year, two and a half million. For the Falcons, they re-signed Young Ho Koo, five-year, twenty-four million. Nice payday for a kicker. They signed Casey Hayward from LA, two-year, eleven million. They signed Damian Williams from Kansas City for a one-year deal. The Eagles decide to keep Boston Scott, one year, one point seven five. The Falcons keep Corderell Patterson. They re-signed Anthony Harris. Uh, the Eagles re-signed Anthony Harris. And re-sign Fletcher Cox like we talked about. One year, $14 million. Then the boom happens. Deshaun Watson signs with the Browns. Four-year, $184 million. It included three first-round picks, a third, and a fifth. Potentially the biggest trade in NFL history. Are you fucking kidding me? Baker Mayfield just sitting back like, man, what the hell? Um, the Rams sign Allen Robinson. Three years, $46.5 million. That's why they tra traded Robert Woods. I think I'd have rather had Woods. I'm not too sure. Either way, they have weapons. And then the Rams say, hey, congrats on the, the Super Bowl, Mr. Matt Stafford. Here's a four-year, $160 million deal. You will be retiring in L.A. Wow, what a fucking week in the NFL. I, 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 I literally was saying all the sports, I could just sit and watch Twitter. It's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So much shit is happening. But let's talk UFC, the specialty here at Business and Buckets. The UFC off the hills of a, a tragic loss for Mr. Greg Hardy. Speaking of NFL, they release him. No surprise after his current fight skid. Hadn't shown a lot of improvement in my mind. Um, Rose Namayunis versus Carla Esparza, official for UFC 274. We get to see Thug Rose back in action. A rematch from the Ultimate Fighter. You know, as a fight fan, I feel like I have something. I'm like a scout. I could see talent. You could see when someone is going to be at a high level early on. During the Ultimate Fighter, I thought Rose would actually beat Carla. Carla had the wrestling advantage, yada, yada. But I said, Rose will soon one day be the UFC champion. Never thought it would be so fast. Never thought it would be so dominant. Reminded me of my prediction when I first saw John Bones Jones. But she back. She back. We have Brandon Allen back in the cage taking on Jacob Malkoon. Be good to see the young buck back in the octagon in his actual weight class. Uh, Chidi Njoksuni taking on Dusko Todorovic. I like Mr. Dusko seeing him back in the octagon. In a wild situation with Pewter Jan's team being stuck in Russia due to visa issues, he had gone to Twitter to ask for people to corner him. Sean O'Malley, who fights in the same weight class, will be cornering Pewter Jan, which it's basically a press thing, kind of like 
uh, what's his name did with the cop guy. I don't think it's to actually coach or help. It's just to be there for press. Um, Four-time state champion of Montana wrestling, uh, stud fighter Hunter Azure, sadly released by the UFC. I was a little surprised by this. He was able to fight in, um, I think it was uh, Jorge Masvidal's promotion, and he took a loss via submission. Brutal week for Mr. Hunter. Can't wait to see him fight back. When I move to Arizona, I'd love to get Hunter on the show, get some interviews, hear his story, talk some fights, maybe some fight companions, because uh, he'll be back better than ever. And then in the Eagle FC result, Kevin Lee beats Diego Sanchez. Wasn't pretty. Got the job done. I'm impressed by Diego. They asked him about retirement after the fight. He said, we'll see. He has two more fights on the contract. He expects to fight for those. This man's fucking wild. Um, and then, um, oh, what the hell? Let me see here. Um, there was an ex UFC fighter that fought in this card as well. And he got the dub two dubs in Eagle FC. Um, Ray Borg, another scrappy, another scrappy dub. So congrats, Ray Borg kicking ass in Eagle FC. Got You love to see it. All right. Going back. Um, but let's talk the fight night recap UFC London. And Hey, you gotta love it. Your boy doing his thing. Seven and one. We getting out here. We making money. We getting that bread. Love to see it. Love to see it. So starting off, we had Miranda Maverick with the second round submission over Sabina Mazo. And hey, what a great showing by Miranda. She ends her losing streak. She's back in the win column. She was aggressive. She showcased her grappling early on as expected and got the job done. When we look at the stats, Miranda landed 45 total and 19 significant strikes with four takedowns and a submission compared to Sabina's 24 total and 15 significant strikes. As I said, Miranda starts a new winning streak while Sabina's slide continues with three losses in a row. So what's next? For Miranda, I could see maybe Tracy Cortez or uh, Marina Moroz. And for Sabina, if she isn't cut, I could see maybe Antonina Shevchenko or Victoria Leonardo. Sticking on the women's in the prelim. J.J. Aldrich, unanimous decision over Jillian Robertson. And honestly, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy that, uh, you know, I didn't put J.J. on the prelim. I'm pissed off I didn't pick her. But this was a close scrap. Uh, great fight as I expected, but JJ really had better accuracy in the bigger shots and moments in this fight, which led to the unanimous decision. Statistically, she landed 76 total and 60 significant strikes with a reversal compared to Jillian's 67 total and 52 significant strikes with the takedown. And I apologize, this wasn't London, this was just the fight night. London's the next card. Um... JJ is now on a three-fight winning streak. Jillian starts a new losing streak. So what's next? Well, I'd love to see JJ take on Melissa Gatto or Marina Moroz. And for Jillian, I could see maybe Sierra Eubanks for a fight for her. Then we got the main card. Alex Pieta with the unanimous decision over Bruno Silva. Now, this is a great fight, as I expected. Both fighters had their moments. Honestly, both guys landed some clean shots. Piera is just so long, but Silva, he wasn't fucking scared. He got in there and threw some shots, threw some combos. 
I think he had Alex rocked pretty good at one point too. I was like, oh shit. Um, but statistically, Alex landed 165 total strikes and 108 significant compared to Bruno's 72 total and 59 significant strikes with two takedowns. Alex now is on a five-fight winning streak, although only two of them in the UFC. Bruno's seven-fight winning streak comes to an end, and he starts a new losing streak. So next, you know, Alex called out Jared Cannonier, but I'm like, yo, yo, pump the fucking brakes. We're not ready to give you the killer gorilla because he'll clean that slate. But I could see something like Julian Marquez or Brandon Allen, um, even though he just got a fight booked, someone of that level uh, for his next fight. And for Bruno, I'd like to see him bang against Edmund Shabazian or maybe Eric Anders. Uh, But we got some good fights coming up for these guys. And then the fight that I was a little nervous on my parlay pulled through, but it was not with a lack of adversity. Drew Dober with the first round TKO over Terrence McKinney. Again, Terrence just took this on like eight days notice. And T-Rex, man, you got to give him a shout. On short notice, he gave Dober everything he had. Everything. He was landing big shots. I was like, oh, damn. But Dober, he could take some shots. He's a vet. He's got an iron chin. And he was just able to outlast him in the first round. Statistically, Dober landed 31 total and 17 significant strikes with a knockdown compared to McKinney's 43 total and 36 significant strikes with two takedowns and a knockdown as well. So now Dober starts a new winning streak. He ends his skid while Terrence has his five fight winning streak come to an end and he starts a new losing streak. So next, I would love to see Drew take on Matus Gamrot or Bobby Green. And for Terrence, how about Joe Selecki or Nazrat Haparis? Either way, bangers for these guys. It's a good, nice, deep class. Lots of fights to be had. And as expected, we got to finish here. Khalil Roundtree Jr. with the second round knockout over Carl Robertson. God damn is Khalil a banger, boy. The battle of two specimens didn't go to the distance as expected and was performance of the night. The first round, they were filling each other out, but the second round, you could just see the power that Khalil has. There was a cool moment after the fight where they interviewed him as he used to be obese back in the day. Cool, emotional uh, interview. Highly recommend checking out. But when we look at the stats, it only took Khalil 26 total and significant strikes. He had two knockdowns compared to Carl's 17 total and significant strikes. Khalil now is on a two-fight winning streak, while Carl is on a three-fight skid. So I could see Khalil take someone like Daun Jung or Max Grishin. And for Carl, maybe Alonzo Menafield. Those would all be bangers, big boys right there. And then the style matchup, the, the, the swaggy matchup. Sadiq Youssef with the unanimous decision over Alex Caceres. You know, Alex was very aggressive out the gate and was using his length to his advantage. I was like, damn, okay, I see you. But I think Alex won round one for sure. Uh, But Sadiq, because of Alex's wide stance, he went to his corner, they came out with a game plan, and he was just chopping that front leg, chopping that front leg. It was easy pickings as they are opposite stances. Um, So it was a wide open shot for him. And Alex didn't really, you know, change the plan. He just let him do it. Um, maybe there was a 10, eight round here, but I thought this should have been a split decision. I think that was a disgrace to Alex, but maybe some of those leg kicks, he literally was like knocking down Alex on those leg kicks. 
They gave him a 10-8 round. Um, statistically, Sadiq landed 74 total and 64 significant strikes with a takedown compared to Alex's 71 total and 66 significant strikes with a takedown as well. Now, Sadiq starts a new winning streak. He moves up into the rankings to number 11, while Alex's five-fight winning streak comes to an end, and he starts a new losing streak and drops out of the rankings. Hate to see it. You, you love both fighters. Someone's got to win. I could imagine, I would love to imagine, Sadiq Yusuf versus Bryce Mitchell. That's who he called out after the fight. I think that would be an amazing matchup. It would be a ton of fun. You know, both guys can grapple. If not, I could see him maybe taking on Shane Burgos. And for Alex, how about Andre Feely or Billy Quarantillo? God damn, that would be a fun fight. And how about old Song Yadong with the first round knockout over Marlon Moraes? And really, to me, this comes down to Marlon's chin being gone. He still looks good in there, but he just can't take big shots. And guys like Song can throw some shots. You know, Song had some really nice combos in and out, showcased his power. I was very impressed that you could see him uh, getting better each fight. Statistically, Song landed 14 total and significant strikes with the knockdown compared to Marlon's 9 and 9. Song is now on a three-fight winning streak and moves up five spots to number 9, while Marlon's slide continues with his fourth straight loss and moves down four spots to 14. You hate to see it. Marlon's a killer. He's been in wars, but the human body can only take so much. So next, I could see Song taking on Dominic Cruz like he asked for or maybe Pedro Munoz. And for Marlon, if he's still on the roster and wanting to fight, how about Rafael Asuncao, who's going through pretty much the same skid? That makes sense to me. And then the main event, Magomed Ankalev with the unanimous decision over Tiago. Oh, wait. Hold on one second. I messed this up, man. I messed it up. I, I had the Ankalev fight on the... That's funny. Um, Magomedov Ankalev with the unanimous decision over Tiago Santos. You know, Magomed looked conservative in this fight. He came out after saying that he wanted to go five rounds um, to know if he's ready for a title. Whether that's true or not, we're not going to really know. Um, but Santos really hasn't looked the same since he suffered all those injuries against John Jones, and I think you know we, we've seen that. Um, statistically, Magomed landed 114 total and 78 significant strikes with the takedown um, compared to Santos's 81 total and 60, 60 significant strikes with the takedown of his, uh, of his own. Well, Santos, he's now... Um, Starting another losing streak, he's lost four of his last five, and he drops one spot to number six, while Magomed is now on an eight-fight winning streak and moves up two spots to number four. What's next for these guys? Well, I could see Magomed fighting for the title or the winner of Blakovich versus Rachik, which is going to be fucking nuts. Or uh, for Santos, maybe Dominic Reyes. He's in a slit as well. Uh, that would be a good fight. I'm sure that would be a banger. Um, 
But then now this week we got the fight night card in London with the early start 1 p.m. Pacific main card start. Uh, a fight that we won't talk about is Mohamed Mokayev, uh, who's fighting in the prelims. I think he's kicking the prelims off. He's making his UFC UFC debut. Youngest fighter on the roster, really hyped up, and um, you know I expect him to do handy work here. So that's why we're not talking about him. Uh, but I really do think this is kind of a loaded like they made this in London, right? Their first international trip for a while outside of Dubai uh, or Abu Dhabi. And I just feel like all their, their fighters are set up for success. You know, maybe I feel like that doesn't always happen. Like I've seen some Brazil cards where the Brazil guys get waxed, but I feel like all of the London guys have pretty favorable fights besides maybe Arnold Allen. And we'll talk about that in a second. We're going to start in the prelims though. And how this fights in the prelims, I'm shocked, but we got Jack tank shore. 27 years old, undefeated with the 15 and 0 record, taking on Timur Lucky Valiev, 32 years old with an 18 and 2 record. Again, how this isn't on the main card blows my mind. I think this is one of the most exciting fights on the card. When we look at this, Jack, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's undefeated with four wins coming in the UFC. Eight of his 15 wins are via knockout. And he went 2-0 last year in 2021. He does have a 4-inch reach advantage in this fight as well. Timor is a master of sport in Sambo and Pancration. He's a brown belt in BJJ. He's a vet from the World Series of Fighting and the PFL. And he's on an 8-fight winning streak even though he lost to Trevin Jones in the UFC. It didn't count because of a positive marijuana test. In my book, he's 2-1 in the UFC. Now, this is a huge career like match for the, these guys to progress. I've been back and forth, but I'm going with Shore. I've liked what I've seen, and I believe he's more well-rounded. And like This is one of the Hunter Azure losses, the fact that he gets cut for losing to guys like this. I don't, I don't get it, but um, I'm going with Jack. I am putting him on my parlay. We marking that down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, another kind of surprising prelim fight. We have Nikita, the minor, Krylov, 30 years old, with a 27-8 and eight record, and the number 9 next to his name, taking on Paul Berju-Craig, 34 years old, with a 15-4-1 record, and the number 11 next to his name. Now, this is another fun fight to close out the prelims. Nikita, he's a master of sport and Kyushin uh, and submission fighting. He lost his last fight to Magomed Ankalev, but no surprise. 15 of his 26 wins are via submission, and 10 of his 26 wins are via knockout. Now, Craig, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's on a three-fight winning streak and has won four of his last five with a draw against Shogun that he ended up avenging later with a win. 12 of his 15 wins are via submission, and three of his four losses are via knockout. I think this is going to be a great fight. I think standing, uh, I think it does stay standing as both fighters are pretty high level on the ground. I've seen more from Craig in his fights and he looked really good against a, a dangerous Jamal Hill. He is the underdog, but I'm going with the dog. I'm going with the bear Jew. I'm putting Paul on my parlay. We marking that down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Shamil 
Albrecht Abukarimov, the 40-year-old fighter with the 20-6 and record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on Sergei Pavlovich, 29 years old with a 14-1 and record and the number 15 next to his name. Now, this is a classic vet versus prospect fight. Shamil has a background in Wushu Sanda, freestyle wrestling, and kickboxing. He's on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since April of 2019, so three years, and nine of his 20 wins are via knockout. Now, Sergey, he trains out of Eagles MMA. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He's 2-1 in the UFC with a loss to Alistar Overeem and has an 8-inch reach advantage, which is pretty wild. This fight's pretty close as well, but I'm going with the younger prospect. I'm turkin. I'm turkin. I'm taking Sergey. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Jai the Black Country Banger Herbert, 33 years old with an 11 and 3 record, taking on Aliyah El Matador Topiria, the 25-year-old fighter with an 11 and 0 record and the number 15 next to his name. The headline here was Patty and Aaliyah getting at it in the hotel, talking shit, wanting to fight. Um, I think Aaliyah would would smoke Patty personally, uh, but he gets to fight not Patty the Batty, but High Herbert, and they'll be on the same card. When we look at Herbert, he is an orthodox fighter with a Muay Thai background. He's got a purple belt in Luda Livre. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He's 1-2 and two in the UFC. Nine of his 11 wins are via knockout. Two of his three losses are via knockout. And he has an eight-inch reach advantage, which is savage. Aaliyah, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He's undefeated, 3-0 in the UFC. Seven of his 11 wins are via submission. But when we break it down, I think Torpiria has just got, you know, I think Jai is going to use his length. But Torpiria is the better fighter, more power. I think he's going to have the advantage basically anywhere they go. So I, um, I'm going to go with Aaliyah. I'm putting him on the, the, the parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Great to see this guy back in the octagon. We have Gunner Gunny Nelson, the 30-year-old or 33-year-old fighter with a 17-5-1 record, taking on Takashi Ten Sato, the 31-year-old fighter with a 16-5 record. Now, Gunner is an orthodox fighter with a background in BJJ. He has a black belt in Goju Ryu Karate and a second-degree second black belt in BJJ. He is on a two-fight losing streak but against the likes of Gilbert Burns and Leon Edwards. He hasn't fought since September of 2019, but 12 of his 17 wins are obviously via submission. Takashi is a southpaw fighter. He trains at a Sanford MMA. He is a second-degree second black belt in judo. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC, and 11 of his 16 wins are via knockout. What I'm most interested to see is how Gunner shows up to see if he can start racking up some wins and gain momentum while he's in his prime with the long layoff. I'm definitely taking Gunner. We put him on that parlay. We marking him down and we getting that bread. Then we got Patty the Batty fucking Pimblet. 27 years old with a 17 and 3 record, taking on Kazula Vargas. 36 years old with a 12 and 4 record. 
Now, personally, I'm not as high on this Patty kid as others are, so I'm excited to see how he performs and if he shows up or not with all the hype. Patty, he's on a three-fight winning streak with one of them in the UFC. Seven of his 17 wins are via submission. Uh, six of his 17 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Kazula is a vet, but he, he but but he's new to the UFC. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He's one and two in the UFC, and seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. I think this is a tougher fight for Patty, tougher than people think. He's a pretty big favorite. But I'll take the baddie in the UK in a close one. I'm taking Patty. I'm putting him on my parlay. I'm marking him down. And we getting that bread. And then this fucking fight. Sheesh. This fight, man, when this was booked, couldn't believe it. Arnold, the almighty Allen, 28 years old with a 17-1 and record and the number seven next to his name. Taking on Dan, the hangman hooker, 32 years old with a 21-11 and record and the number eight next to his name. You know, this fight I'm most excited about, and this should be fight of the night. Dan going to a new weight class. The fighters are definitely in different situation. You know, Dan is in this new weight class trying to prove himself, taking on a very tough opponent to get back on track after some a few losses, but to the best of the best and probably the best weight class in the UFC. Meanwhile, Dan, he's on a roll. Or Arnold, he's on a roll. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He's got a 10-fight winning streak, eight of them in the UFC. And Dan, he is an orthodox fighter out of city kickboxing. He's got a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but is one and three in his last four. Like I said, against the best of the fucking best. 11 of his 22 wins are via knockout, and he does have a five-inch reach advantage in this weight class. He looks shredded coming to this weight. I really like Arnold Allen, but Hooker fought three times last year. He has a sharp saw, a really good team to train around. He's very prepared and has a killer mentality. Hooker knows what is on the line. He has to get a win here. I'm taking the hangman. I'm putting him on the parlay. I'm not too uh, confident about it, but we market him down and we get in that bread. And then the main event, Alexander Drago Volkov, the 33-year-old fighter with a 34-9 and record and the number six next to his name, taking on Tom Aspinall, 28 years old, with an 11-2 record and the number 11 next to his name. Now, this is going to be a fun brawl for the big men. I don't expect this one to go the distance. Volkov, he's got a black belt in Kaioshin Karate and Su Shinjen. He's a brown belt in BJJ. He's fought in Bellator previously. He's on a one-fight winning streak and went 2-1 in 2021. And 22 of his 34 wins are via knockout. Now, Tom, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's on a seven-fight winning streak, and he's 4-0 in the UFC, and nine of his 11 wins are via knockout. Tom has heavy fucking hands. He's well-rounded. He's not even in his prime. Volkov, he's been fighting very well, but he ran into, ran into the buzzsaw of Cyril Gaon. I've gone back and forth in this fight. 
But I think I think Aspinall has looked really good. I think he's going to look to take Volkov down and grind him out. I'm going with the younger fighter here. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. So what's next? More fights. This weekend, UFC fight night with the 4 p.m. Pacific main card start uh, the next week. Headlined by Curtis Blades and Chris Dacus. A pretty deep card before a week break for the first time since the new year. So enjoy it while you got it because there will be a little bit of a, a time off after next week's card. Switching to the NBA. LeBron, the only player in history with 30,000 points and 10,000 assists. He's the goddamn GOAT. Steph Curry, he's going to miss time with a sprained ligament in his foot. Supposedly, he could return for the playoffs. Brutal news for the Warriors. And James Wiseman suffering a setback and will be shut down. The Warriors are currently in the three spot. The Jazz are lurking. No Wiseman, no Steph Curry. It's going to be interesting. But let's talk an East and West team. We're going to talk Hawks and Pelicans this week. Looking at the Hawks and the Pelicans, they're in the play-in, but they're struggling. They're barely alive. The Hawks have shut down uh, John Collins. I had him in fantasy. It did not help me. Uh, he's He's got the right foot injury. I doubt he'll be back for playoffs. Lou Williams has been out for some personal reasons. You know, he's probably sick of this shit. He's, he's, he's a vet. Uh, but when we look at the Hawks, it's pretty top-heavy without John Collins. You have Trey Young. Kevin Horder's a nice rotational piece. DeAndre Hunter, now that he's healthy. Bogdan Bogdanovich has become the sixth man, which is interesting. They paid him a shit ton of money. Uh, Clint Capella's still there. I totally forgot about that. And Danilo Gallinari and DeLon Wright are nice rotational players as well. Trey Young, they've been struggling. He talked about being in the playoffs one time, and the rest of basketball is boring now. But he is averaging 27.9 points per game, which is fourth in the league, and uh, 9.5 assists per game, which is third. Um, his second year, he averaged 29 points per game, so this isn't his, his highest scoring uh, season. Uh, but he's still putting the, the, the ball in the hoop, which he you know he's a certified professional at. When it comes to three point percentage, he's he, you know, Ice Trey takes some deep ones. Is he is he a Steph Curry? I don't think so. But he is shooting 38% from three, which is a career high. So, you know, he's out there. Kevin Horner is averaging 11.6 points per game, which is about the same as last year. He's averaged 12 at one point with Atlanta, but he's still playing good ball. DeAndre Hunter has been out most of the year, uh, but we know what he's capable of. Clint Capella is averaging 10 and uh, pretty much 11 and 12. He's fourth in the league in rebounding. He's a rebounding machine. He's averaged as high as 16.6 per game. So, you know, that offense hasn't been flowing like you would expect. But the big contract they gave Bogdan, he's averaging 14 points per game, four rebounds. He's averaged as high as 16.4. So, I mean, he's almost around his career high. Pretty average on the, on the, on the career. But he's only shooting 35% from three. The year prior, he shot 43.8%. So that's probably why they put him to a bench roll, try to figure his shot out, see what he's got going on. But what an addition Danilo has been. He's averaging 11.2 points per game, 4.5 rebounds per game. Um, you know, Danilo's averaged as high as 20 per game before with the Clippers and the Nuggets. Uh, but he's still a good piece, especially with John Collins being out. 
But this really is just a good team, right? They're in the play-in. We'll see if they could win in the play-in. If John Collins comes back or not, that'll help. But this isn't a team that I'm really scared about. You'd think they'd be better. They have a lot of young pieces. They've really built for the future here. I wouldn't be surprised if they do some off-season trading. And the Pelicans. Uh, Zion Williams, you know, he's supposed to be in basketball activities or whatever. Um, the trade of CJ McCollum has turned out to be great. Um, but Larry Nance, he he went under knee surgery. You look at their 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 depth chart, you know, CJ's hooping. Uh, I, I love seeing CJ hoop. I wish he could have went to a contender, but he's averaging 22 uh, points per game, four and a half rebounds, five assists. Uh, he's averaged as high as 23, uh, but he's averaging 26 points per game uh, with the Pelicans. So, I, I mean, you know, what, what else can you ask for? Brandon Ingram has been a staple. He's averaging tw 22 points, almost 23 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, 5.5 assists. The past few years, he's averaged almost 24, uh, but he's not getting a lot of help until CJ came in. Herbert Jones, I think, has surprised a lot of people. He's averaging 9.7 points, 3.9 rebounds. Uh, he's shooting 35% from three. I thought it was a little better, but he plays great defense. Jackson Hayes is still a baby. He's only 21. He's averaging 9.1 points, 4.5 rebounds, which is uh, all, all career highs this far. And how about Valencia Unis? No one gives this guy credit, but he comes in balling. 18.1 points, 11.5 rebounds. Uh, he averaged up as high as 20 with Memphis. Uh, but I, I think he's been playing better than Steven Adams did. So he's been a nice up, uplift. But, you know, not having Zion, they expected him to be here this year. has been brutal. Their second line's pretty nice. They added Devontae Graham. He's averaging 12 points per game, not as high as he's been. He averaged uh, up as high as 18 with Charlotte. Tony Snell's there, Trey Murphy, Najee Marshall, Willie Hernan Gomez, and uh, Jose Alvarado. Uh, a lot of young players. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but really the future lies within Zion as they really had set this team up for that. Uh, but yeah, they'll be in the play-in. They're not too scary of a team. CJ and, and Ingram, though, they go off. They have uh, big scoring nights. You know, they could surprise some people for sure. I wouldn't be as scared of the Hawks or the Pelicans in a playoff series, though. Looking in at the games this past week, starting with Friday, the Jazz dropping another one on the road. 104-102 to San Antonio. Donovan with 24-7-6. DeJounte Murray 27-9 in the victory. Brutal road stretch for the Jazz. Um, you know, with the, the Warriors injuries, you'd think they might be able to take advantage of the standings. Definitely aren't helping themselves out. Um, the Hawks beating the Clippers at home 112-106. Ice Trey with 27 and 11. Zubak with 24 and 12. Nice game for Zubak in defeat. The Grizzlies beating the Knicks at home 118-114. Ja Morant with 37-5 and 8. What a season for Ja. Julius Randle 36 and 12. He's been kind of a hot mess this year. Uh, but the 36 points were on 27 shots. Not super efficient, but better than I've seen. Let's see. The Raptors beat the Suns uh, in Phoenix, 117-112. Gary Trent Jr. loves it in Toronto, or maybe he doesn't like fans or something, but he snaps for 42-8. Cameron Payne with CP3 out, 24-7-4. Uh, Moving into Saturday, the Timberwolves beating Miami in Miami, 113-104. 
The Timberwolves, a scrappy little team. This was with Kyle Lowry, but no uh, Jimmy Butler. All five starters with over uh, double digits. Anthony Edwards and Cat with 15 apiece. Cat with 15 and 10. Miami was led by Tyler here with 30.7 rebounds off the bench. Six for 10 from three, but it wasn't enough. The Warriors beat the Bucks at home without Steph Curry. Tough loss for the Bucks. Giannis leads the way with 31 and 8. The Warriors were led by Clay Thompson, who had 38, 6, and 5. And Jordan Poole stepping in, 30.6 rebounds, 5 assists. Nice play uh, filling in for Steph Curry there by Jordan Poole. Rumors are he might get a fat payday this offseason. The Raptors beating the Nuggets in Denver, 127-115. Pascal Siakam, 33, 5, and 7. Nikola Jokic, 26-10-7 and in defeat at home. Tough, tough loss for the Nuggets. Heading into Sunday, the Nets beating the Knicks in uh, New York without Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant with a 50-burger. We've had a lot of those the past about two weeks. 53-9 on 37 shots, 4-13 from three. Still pretty efficient for a 50-burger, not as efficient as the other ones. Dallas beating uh, Boston at, on the road, 95-92. Luka with 26-8-8. Al Horford still hooping back in Boston, 17-6 in defeat. The Suns smoking the Lakers in Phoenix, 140-111. LeBron tried on primetime, 31-7-6. Devin Booker, 30-10 in the victory. Cruising into Monday, the Jazz lose again, but at home this time. Brutal stretch for the Jazz. 117, 111. Giannis has 30 and 15. Drew Holiday with a nice 29, 7 and 5. The Jazz were without, um, actually, full healthy lineup. No, no Bogdanovich, uh, but Mitchell, Conley, and Rudy were there. Mike Conley with 29 and 7. Donovan with 29, 8 and 6 in defeat for the Jazz. The Clippers beat, or the Cavaliers beating the Clippers in the land in overtime. Isaiah or Evan Mobley, 30 and 6, the Young Buck Hoopin, Rookie of the Year candidate. And Zubak with 24 and 14 in defeat for the Clips. The Nuggets beating the Sixers at, on the road, 114, 110. Nikola Jokic, 22 and 13 uh, to lead the, the Nuggets. Joel Embiid with 34 and 9. James Harden was present with 24, 11 and 9. But even with James Harden, the Nuggets prevail. Still no Jamal Murray. There hasn't been a timeline. There's rumor he might not play this year, which is uh, brutal news for them. The Raptors beating the Lake Show at Crypto.com. I hate saying that. Pascal Siakam, 27-11. LeBron James, 30 points, 9 assists. Heading into Tuesday. No good games Tuesday. Heading into Wednesday. The Jazz back on track at home, beating the Bulls, 125-110. Donovan Mitchell putting the team on his back, 37-3-5. Zach Levine, 33-2-5. The Hornets beating the Hawks at home, 116-106. LaMelo, 22-8-11, just shy of a triple-double. The double-double machine, Capella, 17-15 in defeat. The Sixers squeak by Cleveland on the road, 118-114. Joel Embiid, monster lines, 35-17-5. Darius Garland, 22-5-7 in defeat. The Mavericks beating the Knicks in Brooklyn, so no Kyrie, 113-111. The, 
Luka had 37-9-9, just shy of a monster triple-double. KD, 23-6-10 in defeat at home. The Celtics beating the Curryless Warriors in uh, Oakland, 110-88. Tatum had 26-12-4. Jordan Poole with 29 points in defeat. The Raptors beating the Clippers in LA, 103-100. Siakam stays hot, 31-12. Morris Sr. had 22-6-7 in defeat. Nothing on Thursday before this coming weekend's games. Things are getting interesting in the NBA. We're almost towards the end of the year. A lot of injuries, a lot of players we expected back. Still no timelines, trying to figure out what's going on. Depot's back, now he gets hurt. Uh, It's going to be an interesting finish. But we're talking the best segment of the week. Freaking March Madness. Headlines outside of the bracket reveal. Will Wade out at LSU. Xavier hiring ex-Arizona coach Sean Miller as they part ways with Travis Steele. Before we talk the bracket, let's talk about the conference tournament games, so the good games that had happened. Villanova barely squeaking by. Nova Nation, you see I'm representing Bay Bay. Barely getting by St. John's early on in the Big East tournament. Caleb Daniels with 19-7. and seven. Um, Champagne, Champ- I forget how to say this guy's name. It looks like Champagne. Champagne with 23-9 and nine for St. John's, but not quite enough. Arizona squeaks by Stanford. Big man uh, Coloco down low, 24-9-4 for Arizona. Baylor gets upset early by Oklahoma at, at home. Um, Jordan Groves with 15 and nine. Uh, Baylor was led by Jeremy Soshan with 13 and nine in defeat. Kansas beating West Virginia uh, by a lot, a, a team effort. Providence escaping Butler. Watson with 26 and seven. Big game for the big man down low. Texas Tech demolishes Iowa State 72-41. This is just Thursday's action. TCU beating Texas. Um, Lampkin with 10-9 for the Horned Frogs. Texas was led by Timmy Allen, who had 16-9 in defeat. Not good momentum before the, the tournament. Villanova beats UConn on Friday by three. Jalen Samuels, love to see the super senior getting some momentum, 21-12. and 12. He's been battling a lot of injuries. Texas A&M trying to uh, um, secure a bid in the tournament, upsetting the fourth-ranked Auburn squad, 67-62. Uh, they were led by Henry Coleman III, who had 16-10. and 10. Auburn was led by Walker Kessler, who had 16 points in defeat. Obviously, everyone wants to know what Jabari Smith was doing. Jabari Smith had 17 points, 9 rebounds on 16 shots. Not the best day for the young stud. Kansas beating TCU pretty handily. Uh, They were led by Mitch Lightfoot, who had 15 and 5. Duke escapes Miami. Uh, Paolo Banchero, 18 and 11, little, little local Seattle. Cameron McGusty, uh, led the way for Miami with 24 and seven. Creighton upsets Providence by a lot, 85 to 58. Wow. Durham led the way for Providence with 21 and five. 
Ryan Kalkbrenner had 15 and 9 for Creighton. Michigan State upsetting Wisconsin 69-63. Michigan State was led by Marcus Bingham Jr., who had 19 and 11. Uh, Brad Davidson had 23 uh, in defeat for Wisconsin. UCLA beats USC. Hawkes Jr. leading the way, 19 and 5. USC was led by Boogie Ellis, who had 27 and 5 in defeat. Indiana upsetting Illinois 65 to 63 as they try to uh, stamp their place in the tournament. Led by their star, Trace Jackson Davis, who had 21 and 7. Kofi Coburn, 23 and 10 in defeat. San Diego State upsetting Colorado State. Even though their star player, David Roddy, had 22 and 9, San Diego State was led by Trey Pullum, who had 11 and 6 for San Diego State. Virginia Tech upsetting the Tar Heels, 72-59. They were led by Darius Maddox, who had 20-6. UNC was led by Armando Beko, who had 19-14 in defeat. And into Saturday, the big games. Villanova beats Creighton by 6, led by Connor Gillespie, or Colin Gillespie, 17-7-5, the fifth-year senior doing his thing. Arizona beating UCLA. Um, Pac-12 Player of the Year, Benedict or Ben Mathurin, 27-4-7. Tennessee beating Kentucky, 69-62. Ty Ty Washington was 17-6 in defeat. Um, Kennedy Chandler led, leads Tennessee, 19 points. Kansas beats Texas Tech by 9. Um, Bryson Williams was 17 points in defeat. Daniel McCormack, 18 and 11 for the Jayhawks. Virginia Tech trying to do their thing, beating Duke 82 to 67. This boy snapped Hunter Couture, 31 points. Paolo with 20 and 5 for Duke. Purdue meeting Michigan State, 75 to 70. Jaden Ivey, 22, 9 and 5. AJ Hogard led the way for the Spartans, 17 and 10 in defeat. Texas A&M winning the what? Uh, in the semifinal, beating Arkansas 82-64 to handily. Uh, Quentin Jackson, 20 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists. For Arkansas, they were defeated, but Odois Tony with 18 points to lead the way. Iowa beats Indiana in the Big Ten semifinal. Trace Jackson Davis with 31-10. Keegan Murray with 32-9. These guys getting hot right before the big dance. And then Sunday, Tennessee beats Texas A&M 65-50. Iowa beats Purdue 75-66. Keegan Murray 19-11. Travion Williams uh, 13-11 for Purdue. And Houston gets revenge after getting blown out by uh, Memphis 71-53. Houston's led by uh, Fabian White Jr. who had 20 points. Memphis was led by Jalen Duran, who had 14 and 10 in defeat. So that sets us up. Um, we also had the first play-in games. Texas A&M, uh, we'll get to the bracket here in a second, losing to Texas Southern. Indiana beating my Wyoming Cowboys. It was a big drama to see if Wyoming got in. And Indiana, I thought they deserved a non-play-in game situation. I was like, sweet, I'm going to go to Portland for this. But then this ended up being in Dayton, Ohio, before the first round in Portland. 
Indiana wins 66 to 58. Trace Jackson Davis had his fingerprints everywhere with 29 and 9. Hunter Maldonado had 21, 3, and 5. Way too many turnovers for the Pokes. Indiana wins only shooting 15% from three. Um, EK had 17 and 9 for Wyoming. But they were just running these stale formations. It's not going to work when you play big-time basketball. I know Hunter's got a nice long wingspan for Wyoming. I know EK's a big guy. But when your offense consists of your point guard coming up and trying to back guys down out from the three-point line and look for passes, or EK all the way from the elbow backing guys down, why can't we move the ball a little bit, get some passes while you guys are in position, then go do that? Uh, it was very frustrating. I thought Wyoming should have won this game. The fact that they only lost by eight uh, is surprising. It just shows you that Indiana's not that good. And then Wednesday, Wright State beating Bryant 93-82. And Notre Dame, what a game this was. Beating Rutgers, uh, you know, this is a potential matchup. I thought that these guys could win the next round. Double overtime. I mean, what a fucking game. Rutgers with some big upsets throughout the year. Caleb McConnell leads the way, 23-11. and 11. But it was all about Paul Atkinson Jr., who had 26-6 and six for Notre Dame as they went in double overtime and earned themselves in the first round. Got to hydrate, you know? So let's let's break down this goddamn bracket. We got Gonzaga, the one seed, taking on Georgia State. I mean, 116, the one overall. You got to take, take Gonzaga there. What an 8-9 matchup we have here. Boise State taking on Memphis. The Mountain West usually shits on themselves in the tournament, but I thought they had a very competitive... Uh, Conference this year, they put quite a few teams into the tournament, including Wyoming, Colorado State, who looks good, Boise State, um, and San Diego State. UNLV was a borderline port, uh, uh, bracket team. I believe that Memphis has a higher potential, but they haven't performed besides that blowout in Houston. And I like the, the seniority of Boise State, some of the quality wins. So I'm going to take Boise State in this 8-9 matchup. Um, and then I have Gonzaga beating them. UConn versus Mexico State, 5-12. I don't know a ton about New Mexico State. You look at the conferences. You look at the quality of games. I like the idea of UConn winning this matchup. They have some senior guys to lead them, RJ Cole. So I'm going to go with UConn over New Mexico State, 5-12, even though that's a very popular upset pick. And then in the 4-13, we have Arkansas taking on Vermont. Obviously don't know a ton about Vermont. I've seen a lot of, you know, Analysts saying this is a potential upset. I've talked about Arkansas being overrated, but they do have very physical players on this team. They have some quality wins. I'm going to go with Arkansas over Vermont, and then I'm going to have UConn over Arkansas because, you know, we've been talking about how, how overrated they are. And then, uh, obviously, Gonzaga moving on to the Elite Eight, beating UConn. The bottom half of the West, uh, West bracket, we have 6 Alabama, fill-in 11 Notre Dame. If this was Rutgers, I think I would have taken Rutgers here. Um, but I get the benefit in the bracket of picking, you know, one or the other to advanced. I'm going to go with the one or the other. So in this case, Notre Dame over Alabama. I've been talking about how overrated they are. Plus, as a Nova guy, I got a little grudge. You know, they got Javon Quinterly over there. He was kind of a baby. He didn't play transfer. It's like, cool, go transfer. So I'm going to go with the upset over Alabama here. And then in 314, we have Texas Tech taking on Montana State. 
you know, Montana State's a decent team. I don't think it's one of the better big sky teams that's come out of late. And Texas Tech's scrappy. They have some quality wins. I'm easily going Texas Tech here. And then I'm going to go with Texas Tech over the upset bid of Notre Dame, which in the brackets, Notre Dame slash Rutgers. And then to finish out the West, we have 7-10, and 10, Michigan State and Davidson. I've gone back and forth here. Davidson's looked good. They had a nice little run in their tournament. You know, obviously they lost to Richmond. Uh, but how can you bet against Coach Izzo? I think this is going to be a very fun first-round game. I'm going to go with the Sparties over Davidson. And then we got Duke 2, CSU Fullerton uh, 15. Um, I'm going to go with Duke here pretty easily. And then the, then we got the showdown. If this happens, Tom Izzo, Coach K is last year. You know, this is going to be a scrap, but I think Duke's too talented. I think, you know, a lot of what I'm doing in the bracket this year is I'm going on, you know, you get some of these teams like Nova who have like super seniors, right? Jalen Samuels, Colin Gillespie, Purdue, or not Purdue, uh, Providence has a bajillion older dudes. There's other teams in the tournament like that. So I'm going to leverage those because I put myself back in college. I put myself back in college talking to college athletes. There's still that like ranking of like, okay, cool. You're Paolo. You're a freshman. Well, I'm a fucking super senior. And when we have a bunch of veteran led teams, we're not going to let this freshman team beat us, right? You go to the league, you could get paid, but we got the experience. We know how to handle the big moments. And I think that's going to play to their advantage. But I'm also picking teams that have those high-level playmakers that are trying to boost their stock, try to get those paydays, right? And I think Paolo is one of those guys. I mean, Duke has three projected first-round picks, two lottery picks. So I'm going with Duke over Michigan State, which then sets up a very good matchup against Texas Tech. People are pretty high on Texas Tech, but I don't think they can score. Uh, one of their better players is he's, he's very inefficient. So they're going to have to play very good defense and hope that Duke has an off night. So I'm going to go with Duke over Michigan State over Texas Tech to match up against Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. And I'm putting Duke in the Final Four. I remember that matchup that happened earlier this year. Let me confirm here. This is one of the first like early games. In college basketball, you get those big tournaments early in the year where you know high-quality teams are going to be playing each other. And it makes it a blast to watch because you get to see how conferences and teams rank up early on. Like, I knew how good Villanova was going to be early on in the season. Well, Duke beat Gonzaga 84-81, and we watched Paolo snap off, really making a name for himself. So I'm going to take Duke over them just by playmaker and momentum uh, heading into the championship out of the West. Or the Final Four, excuse me. Going to the bottom of the east side of the bracket, we have Baylor 1, Norfolk Stakes 16. Um, I'm, I'm going to go Baylor there. I don't have to think too much about that one. Uh, you know, I've looked up the schedules, quality games, those types of things, but nothing stuck out with me on Norfolk. And it's hard when you don't know their conference or anything about the teams. 8-9, uh, great matchup here. North Carolina, Marquette. <sighs> you know, North Carolina's had some momentum. They have some high-quality players. Marquette has some players. They have, um, what is it, Justin Davis or, let's see. You know, I watch him starch. I mean, starch Villanova a couple times. Justin Lewis, the hell's his name? Yeah, Justin Lewis. So they got playmakers themselves. You know, I'm a little biased towards the Big East, but I'm going to go with North Carolina here. I think they have too much top-level talent, and Marquette's been streaky. They've had good moments, but they've had some ugly ones as well. Uh, so I'm going to go with North Carolina byproduct here against Baylor, but then I'm going to take Baylor over North Carolina 
Baylor's battled some injuries, having some issues, but I think they're good enough to get over that one, and then we'll talk about them going further than that in a minute. 5-12, we have St. Mary's in Indiana, Wyoming. We already know Indiana won. I think both of these teams, whoever was going to win, I'm taking over St. Mary's. You know, St. Mary's is a five seed, blows my mind. And then the fact that they're even, um, you know, this highly touted blows my mind as well. Based off one win against Gonzaga, when they have a good game plan against Gonzaga every year, and they typically beat them one of the two showings, and then they play in the conference tournaments. So I'm going to go with Indiana-Wyoming, which is now Indiana over St. Mary's. And then, uh, and that's popular, 5-12. Then we got 4-13, UCLA-Akron. Um, I, I like UCLA here. They had a big run last year. They have experience. You'd think that translate, even though I'm not big on the Pac-12. So I'm going to UCLA, uh, meeting up with Indiana. I'm taking UCLA over that. They just have more scoring capability. Indiana, like, you know, they shot so bad against Wyoming. I don't know how they're going to shoot better against a faster-paced team. Which then sets up UCLA uh, against um, Baylor. I would typically pick Baylor if they were more healthy, but I'm going to go with UCLA here on a whim, and UCLA burned my ass, and the Pac-12 did, so it's kind of a makeup from last year. So I don't know, you know how valid that is. Going down to the bottom of the East, we have 6 Texas, 11 Virginia Tech. Um, Virginia Tech's had some nice wins, has some momentum coming from the ACC tournament. Uh, I'm going to go with Virginia Tech over Texas. This is going to be a close game. Uh, it's going to be an ugly game, probably a low-scoring game. Uh, but my heart's telling me Virginia Tech. I've gone back and forth on this. I've looked at their opponents and, and quality wins over and over. Uh, so I'm going to go with Virginia Tech here. You know, a little, little sore from Texas last year. But they, they, they have no they, – they can't score. Texas cannot score. Um, three, Purdue, yell 14. I'm going with Purdue. Pretty easy there. Uh, number seven, Murray State. Number 10, San Francisco. What a game this is going to be. This might be one of the best games in the first round. I cannot wait to watch this game. I've talked about how good San Francisco is. They deserving, you know, pretty close to deserving being in the, the top 25. And I've talked about Murray State being overrated, just the fact I don't think they should be in the rankings. It's not that I don't think they're good. They have great guard play. Uh, John Morant University, that's all I could think about. Uh, but I like the older guys on San Francisco. I think uh, I think they have a real opportunity to win here. So I'm going to go with the 10 upset over Murray State. Obviously taking uh, Kentucky over St. Peter's. And I, I did two brackets in the money pools I put in. I did one that I really think is going to happen. And I always mark one chaos. Like if everything fucking hits the fan, because some years that happens, I actually in the chaos one have San Francisco beating Kentucky and moving on, but I'm not going to do that here. So I have Kentucky beating San Francisco, uh, which sets them up against Purdue. And I like Purdue here. Jaden Ivey, the length. Kentucky's so young. They've been wishy-washy all year. I, I don't think they're really as good as a two seed usually is. So I'm going to go with Purdue over Kentucky, which faces them up against UCLA. And this one's tough, but I'm going to go with Purdue representing the East in the final four. I like their, their big play capability. I think Jaden's better than anyone on UCLA. And I also think that the, the height that they have, they have uh, uh, Travion Williams. They also have Zach Eady, the seven-footer. Uh, so I think that's going to play to their dividend, which will set up a sick final four matchup of Duke and Purdue. I've gone back and forth on this one as well, but I'm going with Duke. It just feels right. Coach K's last year, the, the top-level talent that they have. 
I don't think Duke has reached their potential, but in the big games, they've usually shown up, you know, including that Gonzaga game early in the season. So I'm going Duke with the fucking championship. Duke Purdue in my final four on the left side of the bracket. Going top right in the south, we got Arizona versus Wright State. I'm taking Arizona pretty easily in that one. Advancing. Really fun matchup here. Seton Hall, TCU. Both teams have had their moments. I feel like looking at TCU's last few games, they have some quality wins in the Big 12 and looked good in the Big 12 tournament. And Seton Hall has had some really ugly moments. Being a Villanova Big East guy, like I, I just watched them play enough. Villanova cleaned their house pretty good. Um, I'm going to go with TCU. Uh, I mean, this is technically an 8-9 upset. I don't feel like it's an upset. Um, in this one, which matches them up against Arizona. And as much as I like TCU, I just don't think they could keep up. Arizona's got length. They got speed. They got quickness. I've talked about them being overrated because I don't think they deserve to be a one seed, but they are better than TCU. So we'll have them advance to the Sweet 16. Classic 5-12 here, UAB Houston. I got Houston uh, beating UAB. I, I don't have to look at it a lot. It's hard for me looking at UAB's schedule to really be pumped about that. Um, and then 4-13, we have Illinois, Chattanooga. This was a big, uh, you know, analyst like, hey, you know, like uh, Bialis, those types of dudes, you know, Chattanooga could pull this off. Looking at Chattanooga's schedule though, and I haven't watched them. It's like, how can you, where does that come from? Like Kofi Coburn should be able to win this game by himself. But Illinois has just been messy at times, man. So I'm going to go with Illinois over Chattanooga, which sets them up at Houston. Almost to the fact, just because I, I have called Houston overrated, I want to take Illinois. But with how bad they've looked of late, the Big Ten choking in tournaments and just them choking last year. I'm going to take Houston against Illinois. Or uh, Houston uh, moving on, uh, taking on Arizona. Which drives me nuts because two of these teams are the teams that have been overrated. And I wish they were matched up against other teams. But those are a pretty easy pass, in my opinion, for these teams. I wish, you know, like I said, these two were elsewhere. But I'm byproduct going to take Arizona over Houston in this matchup. That's going to be a fun, high-scoring game. Um, but I, I think uh, Mathurin's just, he's the best player on the court. He's going to find a way to get the job done. So I have them advancing to the Elite Eight as much as I hate to say that. Sometimes the bracket plays in your favor, benefit of getting a one seed. I, I do think this is the weakest, the weakest, uh, that's not true. The top half of that bracket's pretty fucking weak though. Moving to the bottom half, we have number six, Colorado State taking on number 11, Michigan. The fact that Michigan made this tournament is highway robbery. And sure, Jawan Howard's going to be back now. Like, ooh, no surprise. It's just because their name, their logo, their likeliness. Um, I thought that Texas A&M got shafted is complete fucking chaos. I was about to throw a temper tantrum if Wyoming got, got snubbed and Michigan got in. Um, but it is what it is. You know, they, they want them in. They're going to be in. They're going to play the best team out of the, the Mountain West, though. Um, they have a true score in Colorado State. They're scrappy. They play good defense. I'm taking Colorado State to beat Michigan. They don't deserve to be there. Put put the Rams moving forward. Then we got three Tennessee, 14 Longwood. You look at Longwood stuff, it's hard to come up with anything that like shows much validation. I think Tennessee is one of the most overrated three seeds. Let's see. Texas Tech, Tennessee, Purdue, Wisconsin. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't think they're that amazing. They struggle to score at times. They play in the SEC. It makes them look better, but they are better than Longwood. So I'm going to put Tennessee up. Um, I do think Tennessee is better uh, than Colorado State, though. So I am going to put them over uh, Tennessee. 
I, you know, I am a, a Mountain West guy, but usually Mountain West can't get out of the first round, let alone be, a, you know, a top 25 team. The bottom half, we have Ohio State, Loyola, Chicago. This is a high, high. I think most people are putting Loyola, Chicago. I, I can't bet against Mikael Branham and EJ Liddell in a game like that, though. Uh, I feel like they're, they're going to find a way to get this win. I think it's going to be a close game, probably an ugly game. But I'm going with Ohio State over Loyola Chicago. And then I'm going Villanova over Delaware, 215. You know, I'm pretty biased there. That is against Jamal Murray, or not Jamal Murray, Jameer Nelson's son playing there. Uh, but I think Villanova should cruise through that. Um, I, I'm not worried about Nova playing Ohio State. So I have Ohio State uh, losing to Villanova. Um, so Villanova matched up against Tennessee and then I got Villanova taking out Tennessee like they did early on in the season, matching them up against Arizona. Things get interesting here, but just the experience and Jay Wright alone, I have fucking faith. I'm putting Villanova in the final four representing the South. Last part, we got the Midwest 116 Texas Southern, uh, Kansas number one. I'm going to go with the Jayhawks over that, over them. Um, and then we have eight, nine, another mountain West team against the big East San Diego state versus Creighton. Creighton's looked really off of late. I just have not been impressed with them. Uh, plus San Diego state. They have some scorers, man. Uh, they're scrappy. They're physical, just like the mountain West. I'm one with San Diego state in a close one. Uh, but I'm going to take Kansas over San Diego state five, 12. We have Iowa and Richmond. Uh, Richmond looking good, winning their conference, beating Davidson. But Keegan Murray, uh, you know, everyone's so high on Iowa right now. They win the Big Ten. Oh, oh my God, Iowa is a Final Four team. I don't think they're that good, but I do think they'll beat Richmond, uh, which sets us up with Providence 4, South Dakota State 13. This was another huge upset prediction. Send, uh, South Dakota State can shoot the lights out of the, the, the ball. But again, Providence is so well experienced. They have these super seniors. They're not going to let these young kids come in and abuse them. They're going to be physical. They're going to shove it down their throat. I'm taking Providence, and I'm taking Providence over those hot guys because they're fucking overrated. Uh, so I got Providence set up with Kansas. You know what? I'm taking Kansas again. At, or not Kansas again. Providence again. I've seen both teams struggle offensively so many times. But again, the experience of Providence, they battled uh, against Villanova. They look like a well-rounded team. If they can avoid like 20% shooting nights, 30% shooting nights, I think they'll get the job done. I'm not quite as high on Kansas either. So I have Providence sneaking into the Elite Eight. Bottom half of the Midwest, we have LSU 6, Iowa State 11. I've been back and forth on this one. LSU, though, Tari Eason, local kid, scoring off the bench. They're physical. They have had some momentum, some good quality wins. I'm going to go with LSU over Iowa State, but I've been all over on this one. Wisconsin 3, Colgate 14. This has been one of the analyst potential like monster upsets. Uh, but how can you bet against Johnny Davis and Brad Davidson? There's two, two good scorers. They are top-heavy. It is literally those two guys, and that's it. But I think Johnny Davis will find a way. I'm taking... Wisconsin over Colgate because of the lack of scoring for LSU. I'm taking Wisconsin over LSU uh, as well. And then the, the, the bottom half, we have seven USC number 10 Miami. Again, the PAC 12 burned me last year. Miami does have more experience, but Evan uh, Mobley and, and crew, I think they'll, they'll sneak by. I've been back and forth on this, but I'm going to take uh, USC over Miami and then easily taking Auburn and Jamari, Jabari Smith over Jacksonville State. 
And because I'm not high on USC, I'm going Auburn over my or my, Auburn over USC, which sets us up with Wisconsin Auburn. I think Auburn's pretty futile as a two seed as well, just like Kentucky. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, Wisconsin and Johnny Davis. I think he's trying to make a, a NBA name. Brad Davidson's been there. He's tenured, super senior. So I think their experience leapfrogs them over Auburn and sets them up against Providence, uh, where I'm going to go with the experience of Providence is they just have more depth, more physicality than Wisconsin. So I got Providence taking on Villanova in the Final Four. We've already seen how this fucking plays out. I'm going Villanova, Duke. And as much as I'd like to go Villanova, the reason I have Duke is for all the reasons I've talked about, they just have more talent, like real raw NBA talent. I'm going with Duke, Coach K's final year. It just feels right. Don't ask me about it. Uh, So I got Duke Villanova in the championship, Duke Purdue on the final four with Villanova Providence. You heard it here first. Business and buckets. We'll see if it's business and buckets or all business, no buckets. We go and learn. But I can't wait. I fucking love it. First weekend, best weekend in sports, free agency, free agency, March Madness, let's go, Villanova representing, I didn't know if I would have Villanova that far, but come on, Delaware, even Loyola Chicago if they win, but most likely Ohio State, Tennessee they already beat, Arizona is definitely fucking overrated, I'm telling you guys, Arizona is not that good, they're lucky they have an easy part in the bracket. And then if it really is Providence, let's say it's not Providence, it's Kansas. Villanova's beaten Kansas multiple times over the past few years. I know that don't matter, but dude, Jay Wright, Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuel, and the shooters that they have, like they have so many shooters. They're great at the free throw. They're great defensively. They shoot the shit out of the three ball. Duke, Coach K, Paolo, AJ, they just have too much talent. Gonzaga's going to choke. They always choke. Again, you heard it here. Business and buckets. I. We got some Supercross. We're getting near the Seattle showdown. See that shit in person. But tough news. Tough, tough news for me. My heart is broken. I saw this on Instagram. I was high as a kite one night. Ken Roxon pulling out of the season due to health issues. As much as this guy's battled back and why I'm a fan of Ken Roxon, man, it's just so brutal. He's such a good, uh, good guy with his family, doing things the right way. Uh, I don't know what the health issues are, but... it. I mean, you look at the placing that he's done. You know, he wins A1. He comes in looking good, and it just tells off something is going on. Uh, You know, blessings up to Ken and his family. You're the reason I'm really, really watching Supercross right now. Um, You know, it it sucks to see. But outside of this, Detroit beat some motherfuckers up. I was watching this with my friends. Like, oh, my, there's just wrecks everywhere. Detroit ain't playing games. When we look at the 250, no big surprises in the 250. You know your boy Jet doing his thing. He took the whole shot. He got the win. Who was right there? McAdoo. So, Jet Lawrence first. McAdoo second. Pierce Brown third. RJ Hampshire fourth. This sets up the points. Hunter Lawrence in first. Cameron McAdoo only eight behind at 91 in second. Pierce Brown way behind. Styles Robinson way behind. Third and fourth. 450. Holy shit, this wreck. Cooper Webb cases a jump, and Chase Sexton lands right on him. It took them both out. Sexton gets the wheel all rubbed, his shoulders all fucked up. Webb somehow continues to race with his arm all limped up. You know, he's rolling over stuff, taking side jumps, not hitting the whoops to the finish line to get some points. Jason Anderson gets concussed, takes a wreck. 
you're not too sure what's happening. You can see him, you know, like driving all sideways. He's concussed. He he bells out. Dylan Ferrandez gets shaken up. I mean, those are some of the best riders, right? Well, guess what? Tomac starts eighth. Malcolm Stewart starts ninth. But they find themselves at the top. Mr. Consistency. Supercross is always about consistency. And goddamn, is Tomac got something to prove on that team Yamaha. Uh, we look at the or the finishing. Tomac first. Stewart second. Justin Barsha third. Marvin Muscan fourth. Justin Brayton fifth. Vince Friese sixth. And Shane McElrath seventh. Nice little little season run in the 450 for McElrath and Friese. Points leader is Tomac first, 229. Way ahead of Jason Anderson. He's running away with the championship. Who's in second at 187. Malcolm Stewart's tied with him. That rivalry. Shit's getting fun. That's all we're watching. Anderson and Malcolm Stewart moving forward. Uh, Justin Barsh is right there too in fourth at 184. Three points behind. And Cooper Webb, brutal uh, take for him here. He slips to fifth at 173. So round 11 this weekend in Indianapolis. Shit's getting interesting. It looks like the 250, you know, it's the top guys of the class. Tomax smoking. But uh, Malcolm Stewart and Jason Anderson is getting interesting. So we're having baseballs back, baby. Oh, got some season tickets. The Halos. I mean, come on. The Angels never win. But you got Thor. You got Otani. You got Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon. Like, dude, we got to start winning some games. I'll be there watching them live. Win or lose, it is what it is. I'm going to be that 80-year-old guy at a ballpark filling out my own scoring book watching the game. But let's talk free agency. We're going to start making this a segment every week. Preseason predictions on the way soon. NBA rankings on the way soon as well. So, Padres fans, I tried to warn you about this full contract with Fernando Fernando Tatis Jr. so early with injury risk. Right, he hasn't really been like long-term proven, durability proven. You know, he had the big gears he gave him this contract. Well, he fractures his wrist in the post preseason on a bike accident, albeit, and will be out three months. So brutal news to you. Uh, he couldn't get surgery because of the lockout. Like he couldn't get things looked. I don't know. N- not fun news if you're a Padre fan. Nelson Cruz signing with the Nationals. Kind of a weird signing, but, you know, that's a great lift for them. He'll, he, him and uh, uh, Juan Soto will, will hit some bombs. The Brewers are re-signing Brad Boxberger. They signed Daniel Vogelbach to a one-year deal. Uh, this guy just keeps having baseball life. Uh, the Mets trading galore, adding some arms. Chris Bassett, a guy I really liked in Oakland. Huge, huge uplift for them. They also signed Adam Ottavino to a one-year $4 million deal. The Cubs signed their manager, David Ross, through 2024. Sia Suzuki, the huge prize, uh, uh, prized outfielder, signs with the Cubs, five-year, $85 million. Clayton Kershaw sticks with the Dodgers for a year. The Dodgers signed Freddie fucking Freeman, six years, $162 million. Dude, as an Angels fan, this shit grinds my gears. The Yankees and Dodgers, man. Is there been more of a cheat code lineup than what the Dodgers are throwing out there right now? And supposedly, Freddie didn't get a lot of response from the Braves, and they weren't treating him the way he had thought. But why the Dodgers, man? Why you got to do this to baseball fans? Thank God there's an extended playoff. Not a lot, but 
Yeah, so Freddie Freeman, Chris Taylor, Justin Turner, Trey Turner, A.J. Pollock, Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger. You got to be fucking out of your mind. Wild. And to add it, they keep Jimmy Nelson. They sign Tyler Anderson, one-year, $8 million, and re-sign Danny Duffy. The fuck, man? Uh, Ex-Dodger Jock Peterson joins the Giants. The Cubs also sign Andrelton Simmons, ex-stud from the Angels. Uh, reliever Michael Givens, one-year, $5 million. The Cubs side Drew Smiley as well, one-year, $5.25. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi signs with the Jays, leaves the Mariners. The Angels sign Kurt Suzuki, one-year, $1.75. Uh, they sign Austin Romine, backup catcher. They sign Matt Duffy. They love these random utility dudes. Um, some bullpen help. No big arms, but hey, Archie Bradley, one year, 3.75. Uh, Ryan Tapira, two year, 14 million. That bullpen looking nice. Uh, the Nats also sign ex-Angel Steve Ciszek. The Rockies sign Jose Iglesias and Alex Colomb. Josh Harrison signs a one year with the White Sox. The Phillies sign uh, Joyce Familia, Brad Han, and Abdubal Herrera, one year, 1.5. They also get a big deal with Nick Castellanos, five-year, $100 million. They get Kyle Schwarber on a four-year deal. The Phillies adding bats. The White Sox get Joe Kelly, two-year, $17 million. Sonny Gray gets traded to the Twins. The Twins have a bad year, and then they just go wild on all these moves. Uh, Josh Donaldson traded to the Yankees for Gary Sanchez. The Yankees agreed to pay Donaldson's remaining $50 million. Uh, which is wild. I'm trying to see. I think I have a. Oh, all these baseball moves. Chris Davis, who is retired, is still the highest paid Orioles pay player in 2022. He gets $23 million and he's owed money up until the end of 2037. What a deal that was, huh? But one of the prized guys that I was sure was going to sign with the Angels and why we were holding out on pitching Carlos Correa signs three-year, $105 million deal with the Twins. Why, why would no other teams want that? That is a steal. I thought they were going to have to sign eight, 10-year deals. That's what was going taking so long. I would have jumped for joy for the Angels signing him three-year, $105 million. Are you freaking kidding me? But hey, the Twins, they're making power moves. Anthony Rizzo resigns with the Yankees, two-year, $32 million. Fucking Yankees, you know how it is. The Giants signed Carlos Martinez. Matthew Boyd gets a one-year $5.2 million deal with the Giants. The Nationals signed Sean Doolittle. The Diamondbacks signed Ian Kennedy. He, he performed really well. Jacob deGrom is planning to opt out of his contract after this year. And shocking news. The Mets got to feel a little uneasy about that. The Braves trade for... Matt Olson before the Freddie Freeman news is uh, announced, which was wild. They give up Christian Patchy, huge prospect. Shay Langliers, these are like top two prospect. Ryan Kusick and Joey S for Matt Olson. They also uh, the Braves get Kenley Jansen, one year sixteen million. They re-sign Mike Soroka, one year two point eight. The Mariners making moves. The trades are dumping, or the trades, the Reds are dumping. The Mariners trade for Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker for Justin Dunn, Brandon Williamson, and Jake Fraley. 
yeah, not a lot of value in that in my mind to the Reds there. So I'm thinking Angels. Let's get Castillo, right? The Brewers signed Andrew McCutcheon. Red Sox signed Jake Dietman, two-year eight. Hansel Robles signing with the Red Sox, ex-Angel. Colin McHugh signing two years, six million with the Braves. The Braves re-signed Eddie Rosario, two years, 18. The Marlins get Jorge Soler, three-year three -year deal. Probably one of the more shocking signings, Chris Bryant to the Rockies. Why, why the Rockies? Seven here, $182 million. Uh, the A's keep dumping. Matt Chapman traded to the Blue Jays for Gunnar Hoagland and Kevin Smith. The Reds trade Amir Garrett to Kansas City for Mike Miner. The one addition the Reds make is Colin Moran. Uh, Zach Granke signing with the Royals, one year, $13 million. The Rangers are signing Garrett Richards and Brad Miller. The Tigers sign Andrew Chafin, two year, $13 million. Michael Pineda, one year, $5.5 million with the Tigers. The Rockies signed Alex Colomb, one year. Luke Voigt traded to the Padres. And uh, not only is Toronto and Canada dealing with the unvaxxed players, unvaccinated players can't play in New York either, so Mets and Yankees. Um, the MLB allowing the opportunity for a second home run derby to act as the tiebreaker for the all-star game. If it goes into overtime, do you imagine that shit? And ghost runners are probably going to stay in baseball. Other sports hitters, Gabriel Landeskog undergoing surgery, brutal news for the Avs fans, which I am floor or uh, Kyle Snyder beating out Jaden Cox in two straight exhibition matches. These are the best of the best. Florida QB Emory Jones entering the transfer portal. That's a late move. That's kind of awkward. If you're Florida, it's like awkward. Um, NCAA wrestling championships this past weekend. There was some good upsets. It was a lot of fun to watch, but the highlight was Gable Stevenson, obviously winning as a heavyweight pretty easily. Uh, he, he put his uh, shoes on the mat, retiring from college wrestling, prepping his WWE career. Uh, but I love me some college wrestling, some mat madness. Check it out if you don't. It's on ESPN when they do it. And then they finally showed the recording of the natural selection and bald face. Are you freaking kidding me? Scary cherry, the snow conditions, man. That was, I was literally just watching that shit like in awe. And when they started, it was like a sunrise, like flow and just, oh, the camera work they do, the event. Travis Rice finally getting out of Jackson. We get to watch him compete. He damn near wins the event. Fucking bonkers. I am just, I, this event is just, if you're a snowboarding fan, you have to check this out. This is the best event in the sport. Hands down. Should I even got me a little natural selection NFT? Let's see. Let's see what the finals were. I can't remember off the top of my head. Google. It's not easy to find the results here. The results. All right. So, <clears throat> bald face. Yep. Boom, boom. 
So Zoe Sadowski Sinat, who wins gold medals at the Olympics, was a crazy wild card in the event last year. What a stud she has been. She beats Elena Height with a score of 90 and 88. She slayed it. Uh, Dustin Craven beats Travis Rice in the semis and uh, ends up beating Mikkel Bang, who had one hell of an event last year. Um, and Mikkel Bang ended up beating out Ben Ferguson. But, dude, amazing, amazing event. Like I said, mind fucking blown. The production that goes behind that. And uh, Tortorillo's in the, uh, the Alaska event. The third and final event is in the weather window right now. They potentially could be doing whatever, but it won't air until April, which I fucking hate that Jackson's the only live event. If they could do live events, that would be phenomenal. But regardless, that's the bracket. We see how, we'll see how it'll do. I'm trying to win some bread. You know what I mean? Got some parlays going. I wish I had some DraftKings to do props everywhere. But that's it. Uh, don't forget to check out Fueled Supplements. You're supplementing. Support small business. See you guys next week.